Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open your Bibles up to the book of James. We are uh, traveling through the book of James. We're at the end of chapter 3. Last week we uh, looked at the passage of uh, about our words, about the words that we speak and the incredible power that our words have to either destroy or to bless. And uh, today we kind of have a passage that goes hand in glove with that passage, and it's on wisdom, okay? It's on wisdom and and actually, I think when, when, we, when we get what we're going to talk about today, it will help immensely in what we talked about last week. So uh, when, when you have God's wisdom, you tend to, uh, to tra- it transforms the way that you speak. So indeed, last week and this week sort of go together, and we'll talk about that right at the end as well. So James chapter 3 is where we're at. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18 this morning, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. If you'd like to stand, you can while I read uh, our passage. If you need to sit, that is completely fine. James 3, beginning in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, we ask God for help, for wisdom. God, we, we want wisdom. God, we desire wisdom. We desire to, to live in, in the way that you have called us to with your heart and your mind and, and with your values and your priorities. God, we want to we live in ways that bring glory to your name, and that are a blessing to other people. And Father, we're, we're in some tough situations, and so Lord, we, we ask for wisdom. We ask for obedience in our hearts. God, we ask for strength. Lord, please help us today, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here's what I know. There is going to be a time in your life that you're going to encounter some complicated situations, Right? That's true, right? Maybe you've already went through a time where you just had some really thorny issues you had to get through and persevere through. Maybe that's to come. Maybe you're in that time right now. But what's true is, is that life is full of complicated situations that it's not clear. How do we do, how do we live in a way that glorifies God in this mess, right? Some of you may have incredibly difficult marriages, right? Uh, some of you may have incredibly easy marriages, but here's what I know. Somewhere in the world is the most difficult marriage on earth, you know? Have you ever thought about that? Like, somebody has that. Like, somebody's got the hardest situation to work through on the planet. And I, I, maybe they're here at Lincoln, maybe they're somewhere else, but, but there are marriages that are very difficult. You know, some of you might consider yourself in the running for the most difficult in-laws in all the world, Right? 
Um, maybe you've got great in-laws. Maybe you have in-laws that you love dearly. Uh, I see people apologizing already. It's not you, right? And that's awesome. Uh, that's good, right? But like somebody, somebody's got a bad deal there, right? Like that, that's, that's just the issue. That's the case. That's the reality. There, there's the normal issues of kind of meddling and not measuring up and not visiting enough and guilt trip, road trip. But somebody out there has the mother load of all mother-in-laws, right? And they've got a difficult situation. You know, Somebody out there has probably the hardest pubescent, you know, not youngster on the planet, right? Like somebody out there has got a teenager that they cannot figure out. You know, I, you know, some of you may not be Area 51 people. You're not conspiracy theory people. But I, I bet there's a parent out there that says, you know what? I, if, if, I, if I didn't know better, I'd think Martians have kidnapped my kid and left me somebody else in disguise. Kid. You don't even recognize the kid that's in your own house. Like, like this is a kid that came out of your womb and, and you've raised them. And now all of a sudden, who are they, right? Like maybe you got some kind of hard issue with parenting or or maybe maybe you're maybe you're in a situation where you have the Woodward's most difficult neighbors, you know? Maybe you're in that situation. And every frustrating, intrusive, property-lowering quality is maxed out in these folks. And maybe when you leave from work and come home, you pull into your cul-de-sac into you know, the beginning of your neighborhood, and you just pull over and cry a little bit, you know? Because you, you don't want to pull into your driveway, and you just got this thorny mess that you have no idea how to deal with. Or maybe it's your job. Maybe, maybe some of you are going to you know, enter into a time in your job, and you got a boss that... You know, you're, you'd swear it was Hitler incarnate. You know, if, if Hitler came back, his, that's your boss. You know, and it's just a, a terrible, difficult situation that every day you find yourself in these, 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 these positions where, like, what do I do? Like, what do I say? And, you know, how do I handle this? And how do I get through this? And what, you know, you know all kinds of those situations, right? And in all of those situations and so many more, what do you need? Wisdom, right? You need wisdom. Wisdom is that quality of life that is skill in navigating those areas. If you were here in the summer, we had a whole series on, on Proverbs, and so we talked about wisdom a bunch. And the definition that we used when we were going through Proverbs was this one. Wisdom is knowing and loving the heart of God and the truth of God so that in the complicated situations of life, you can please God and bless people, right? So let me kind of just paraphrase that definition. That definition is saying that wisdom is, is, is being able to know God's heart and know God's truth in such a way that you can live in a way that, that glorifies God and blesses people in, in really complicated situations. And that, that's, that, that'd be a great definition, I think, of wisdom. Wisdom is that formula for living that leads to success. Wisdom is that practical way of living that brings harmony and brings blessing to life. And, and, and here's the complicated thing today. James says there's actually two kinds of wisdom, Okay. So, so there, there's the wisdom that comes from above. That's what we want, okay? But then there's another kind. There, there's another kind of wisdom out there that's prevalent throughout our world. And, and James calls it earthly, unspiritual, this kind of blows me away, demonic, all right? So James says there's, there's a kind of, of, of wisdom out there that, that, that's all through our, our world, and it's a way to deal with difficult neighbors, and it's a way to deal with difficult in-laws, and it's a way to deal with difficult teenagers, and it's a way to deal with difficult bosses, and it's a way to deal with difficult situations, but it is not from God, okay? So, so that's, that's the scary thing is you, you, have, you encounter these situations, and what you have to understand is that you're, you're going to be hearing, hey, 
hey, here's how you solve that. Hey, here's what I would do if I were in your situation. Hey, here's how I would approach that situation. And the Bible says it's not God's wisdom. It is, it is not from him. In fact, it's, it's from the devil. It, it's unspiritual. It's earthly. And it will destroy instead of bring, bringing blessing. All right, so, so first of all, we're kind of in between these two. Okay, so you got this wisdom that comes from above that we really need because it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do great things. It's going to bring life. And then you've got this earthly wisdom that is really, it's demonic, okay? James asked the question in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Okay, stop right there. Who is wise and understanding among you? I, I wonder, like if you were just to answer that question, why would you answer that question? What would be the criteria that you would answer that question? Would you look around and you'd be like, well, I've been in Sunday school with that guy over there and he, he knows the Bible really well, you know? Or would you look over and you say, well, I, I've been in business with that guy. Man, he always knows, you know, the answer on how to get the best prices and how to, you know, how, how would you answer that question? Who is wise and understanding among you? Well, the way that James under, uh, understands to answer it is this. He says you need to look at their conduct, okay? He says who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the, in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, wisdom is not just knowing the right answer. It's actually living that answer out in a way that brings blessing, in a way that brings life. You, you know the word good there? So, so he says who is wise and understanding uh, among you, you, you'll know it by his good conduct. That word good is an interesting word because there's two words in Greek that, that you could translate good. One of them means like morally virtuous, and the other one means beautiful, attractive, handsome, appealing. That, that's what that word is, okay? So basically James is saying, who is wise and understanding among you? By his beautiful conduct, by his attractive, handsome works. You're, you're going to know that, that he is wise or that she is wise. And, and so in other words, what, what James is saying is wisdom is, is, is not just knowing the answers. It's not just knowing facts. It's not just knowing things. Wisdom is actually being able to grab onto the heart of God, the truth of God, the way of God, the will of God, and to be able to live that out in a way that brings life, in a way that's beautiful, in a way that, that brings blessing. I, I love what Tim Keller says about wisdom. He says wisdom is being able to if then the scriptures, right? If then, okay, let me explain it. So Keller would say this, wisdom is the ability to say, okay, if the Bible says Jesus rose from the dead, and he did, right, then what? Like for some people, there is no then. For some people, it's like Jesus rose from the dead. Yep. All right, now I'm going to go live my life exactly like I lived before. That's not wisdom. That's just you know a fact. Wisdom is saying, okay, Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, that, man, now like I'm, I'm gonna believe that truth and that truth inside of me is gonna come out in new priorities and new values and new ways of living and new conversations. Wisdom is taking the truth of God, like, like the truth in, in, in Ephesians 1 that says, we believers are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. See, wisdom is saying, Okay, that is true. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So then, and it's gonna come out of my life in this new priority, in this new way of living, in this new way of loving, in this new way, right? Ephesians 5 says that marriage is a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. 
Okay, so the wise person is going to say, okay, if marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, then, and the then is going to be lived out in this beautiful, winsome, attractive, appealing way, right? So wisdom is, is not just known by, by facts. Wisdom is known by deeds. It's known by a life that, that is beautiful and winsome and attractive, okay? Now, what I want to do with the rest of my time with you today, and we're going to finish with the Lord's Supper, which I'm, I really love, and, and so, so we're going to leave time for that. But what I want to do with my short time with you is, I want to give you three characteristics of the wisdom from above, okay? So you're in these complicated situations in your life, right? And and what you got to know is the world is pitching you a wisdom that is not from God. It's a way to handle that, a way to solve that, a way to address that, a way, way, to, way to fix that that is not from God, okay? And then there's God's wisdom from above. That's what we want, okay? So we're going to look at three characteristics of the wisdom that comes from God. Characteristic number one, okay? Number one is the wisdom from above aims to make peace, okay? That's really big in what James is talking about here. The wisdom from above aims to make peace. Peace with God, peace with others. Notice the last verse, which I think is kind of a summary statement here in James chapter three. Uh, verse, Verse 18 says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, now, I want a harvest of righteousness. I don't know what kind of harvest you want. I want one of righteousness, all right? So what does James say about that? James says a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, all right? So that gives us this, this, this clue about what, what is the wisdom that comes from above? What's well, the kind of wisdom that makes peace? Notice in the verse right above that, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable. First pure and then peaceable. Now, if you put those two verses together, okay, verse 17 and 18, here's what you have. You have the wisdom from above is sown in peace by peacemakers who are peaceable. You think James trying to tell us something? Like, I think he is, right? Like, he's going overboard on saying the wisdom from God actually makes peace. It brings harmony. It brings people together. It, 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 it forms partnerships and unity and synergism. And, and it brings peace with God and peace with others. That's why the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know why it's the beginning of wisdom? Because you can't, you can't have peace with God until you have a right posture toward God, right? Until you, you're in awe of him, until you see his glory, until, until you're rightly, uh, rightly postured toward him. And, and so what we have to ask ourselves, first of all, is in these complicated situations, is our primary motivation peace? Is that what I'm aiming at? And and let me just go ahead and tell you what I think. I think a lot of times it's not. I I think a lot of times our primary motivation is, I'm going to show you I'm right. Like I'm going to, neighbor, I'm going to enter in this situation and I'm going to show you the 10 reasons, the top 10, there's 100, but I'm going to give you the top 10 of why you're a terrible neighbor. And I want to communicate that. And I, 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 want, I want that to be known. I want everybody to know that. Okay, that, that's not going to bring peace. And, and, and so James is saying the wisdom that comes from above, you know, you know what it results in? You know what it, you know what it comes out as? It comes out as making peace. Not, not, not a false kind of peace. There, there's such a thing as a fake peace. Did you know that? The, a fake peace is when, when grandma calls the whole family and says, okay, we're all getting together for Thanksgiving, and, and I know that we're all mad at each other, and so, all right, here's the rules. Nobody talks about this, 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 or this. Everybody comes. You be on your best behavior, uh, or, or else, or else. I'm cutting you out of the will, you know? And so the whole family comes, and they eat their turkey like this, you know, and they can't wait to get gone so they can talk about how bad everybody else. Okay, that's not peace, is it? That's not peace. And, and, and I kind of like the, the reality that, that James says in verse 7, 
17, he says the wisdom from above is first what? It's first pure, okay, and then peaceable, okay? In other words, it's not, it's not this fake peace. It's this real peace that comes from purity of heart. See, that, that, those people around that table, that, they didn't have pure hearts, right? So, so James says the kind of wisdom that comes from above is, is first the kind of wisdom that is pure and that brings about peace, okay? Now, let me give you just one kind of really applicable thing in this category, okay? You will never be a peacemaker if you, if you enter into an ugly situation and you sin yourself, okay? Like all of those ugly situations, you know, terrible marriages, terrible in-laws, terrible jobs, terrible family uh, relationships, terrible parenting relationships, terrible business relationships, all of those things have sin in them. That's why they're terrible. Sin, sin breaks everything, right? And, and so, so the, the wisdom from God enables you to go into that situation and you not sin. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that fixes everything. You know what it does do? It sure gives you an opportunity to make, make peace, okay? Because if you go in there and sin, you know, if you're going in there loaded up, you know, got your ammo on, ready to you know, send out your zingers, right? Send out all the reasons that you're a bad person. And you're, man, if you go in that way, you will never bring peace. But if you go in with, with the kind of wisdom that aims to bring peace and aims to be pure, you've got a great chance of, of doing great things in that situation, all right? Changing the world. Number two. So number one, this kind of wisdom uh, aims at peace. Number two, this kind of wisdom puts Jesus in the center and not ourselves, okay? Now, Let me show you what the Bible says about wisdom in relation to Jesus. It actually says he is wisdom. Okay, let me give you three passages that say that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 says, But to those, let's see, is that right? Uh, Yep. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Jesus is the wisdom of God. Verse 30 of the same chapter. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. So Jesus became to us wisdom from God. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3. It says that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible is clearly telling us Jesus is wisdom. Okay? His life is wisdom. His, his words are wisdom. The way he related with people is wisdom. His death is wisdom. His resurrection is wisdom. Okay, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Now, let, let's go ahead and check our work here. Your teacher ever do that? You know, you get a little farther. All right, everybody check our work. All right, so we said number one, what? The wisdom from God brings peace. Okay, let's check our work. If Jesus is wisdom, did his life bring peace? You're here today, are you not? You're an enemy of God right? True? You're an enemy. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2 says we're all lost in our sins. We're all enemies of God. And what did Jesus do? What what did his life do? It brought peace, right? It brought peace between us and God. I I have peace with God. God is not angry with me this morning. God God is not going to hold my sin against me. God's not going to pour out his wrath. You know why? Because of Jesus. Jesus' life and death and resurrection brought peace, okay? See, Jesus is our peace. Let, let, me, let me show you a cool verse that says this like three, four, five times, okay? Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has, made, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Jesus is our peace. And G- Jesus' life brings us peace, right? That's what his life did. So not just, not just, not just what he said or what he believed, but his, his life, his works, his actions actually enables you and I to be right with God. So Jesus Christ is wisdom. So when you and I enter into these hard situations, what we need to make sure is that Jesus is right back, right in the middle. By, by in the middle, I mean he's our, he's our priority, he's our motive, he, he's, he's our guide, we're being like him, this is for his glory, he, he's, the big, he's the big person in the equation, okay? Now, what if he's not? What if, what if you go into a marriage, it's a hard one, you know, you're, there's some bad things there, or you go into a neighborhood, and man, there's just bad stuff. What if you go into that, but Jesus isn't in the center? What else would be in the center? What else would be the big deal? Yes, Bonnie Castro, that's exactly right. Self, okay? And, and, and whenever self is in the center, oh man, things go badly. All right, look at, look at verse uh, 14, 15, and 16. But if you have, okay, this is the opposite of, of the wisdom from above. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And then he says it again. Like he knows we need to hear this twice. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. All right, now, what do those words mean? Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, you guys know what bitter is, right? Have you ever eaten anything that was bitter? You know, it just made you, made you make a face that you wouldn't want anybody to take a picture of, right? Have you ever done that? Like, it's just, oh, just bitter. It, like, stings. It's, it's pungent. It's, it's repulsive. Okay, bitter jealousy is when somebody does something or somebody is something or somebody relates in such a way that just makes you bitter. Like, like you're bitter at them, right? At what they did, who they are, how people think of them, how people think of you because of them, and you're, it's bitter, all right? So, so James says, if you've got that in your heart, when, when, you're, when you're acting out in wisdom, oh man, things are going to go bad. What's the second one? Selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is rivalry. You know what rivalry is? I want to win. I want to win. That's what, that's, what, that's what selfish ambition is, is I want my way. I, I tell couples all the time, do you, want, do, you want to be, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Right or happy, which one do you want to be? And then the second question I usually ask him is, okay, hey, you need to try to win your spouse, not win the argument, right? Because those are, those are different things. And, and, and when you have selfish ambition, which is basically, hey, I, this, I want my way, I want to win, I want to have what I think ought to be, I'm, I'm, I'm out for me here, okay? James says that is not the wisdom of God. You're promoting yourself. You're advancing yourself. You don't have God's wisdom. The opposite of that is to have Jesus in the center, okay? You know, you know what the Bible calls that? It calls it having the mind of Christ. Let me show you that in the book of Philippians. This, this is a beautiful passage. Philippians chapter 1, no, 2, sorry, 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 3. Do nothing from 
What is that phrase there? Do you see that? Do nothing from, that says rivalry or conceit. My Bible says selfish ambition. It's the same word. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus had that mind. That's what Jesus did when when he left the glories of heaven. He, he, he let go of his own privileges, of his own rights, and, and he embraced suffering and servanthood and, and death for our behalf, on our behalf. And, and Paul says, have the mind of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of God is one in which we're not at the center of things, but rather Christ is at the center of things. And so, so ask yourself this question. Number one, when I'm entering into that complicated situation, is my aim peace? Am I, am I seeking to bring those people in peace with God and in peace with one another and me. Number two, is Jesus in the center of that, okay? Do I have his wisdom? Is he the goal? Is he, is he the, my operating manual? Is he, is he who I'm gonna imitate, okay? And then number three, the wisdom from above pursues meekness slash humility, okay? Now, I, I say slash humility because I think meekness and humility are, I think they're married, Okay? I, th- I think they're spouses, all right? So, so th- they're, they're incredibly similar. There are, there are some, some slight nuances in them, but, but meekness and humility absolutely go together, okay? Now, notice what James says about the kind of wisdom that you and I want. Look again in verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let me give you a bunch of definitions of meekness, and then I'll give you the one that I love, Okay? So here's a bunch of other ones that I've heard people say. Meekness is power under control. A lot of people describe it as like a, a, a stallion, a horse that's been broke. There's all this power, but yet it's under control. It's, 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 being, it's being harnessed, okay? Um, the meek person doesn't selfishly assert himself. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Warren Wearsby said, meekness is the right use of power. John MacArthur said, meekness is being, willingly, being willing to, to submit yourself under the sovereign control of God. But here's the definition I like, and you've heard me say it for 20 years now. I, I think meekness is best described as letting things roll off of you and onto God. I think of meekness like as an umbrella, okay? As an umbrella. So that when, when bad things or bad circumstances happen, I don't, I don't embrace them and get bitter and resentful and selfishly ambitious and angry. I, I, I let them roll off of me and onto God. Okay, I, I, I put them on God. I, I, I am under God. Like I'm, I'm trusting him to take care of it. I think that's a beautiful way to think about what it means to be meek. Now, here's, here's a truth that's everywhere in the Bible. Okay, Usually the way it's expressed in the Bible is God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay, Here's what I would tell you. In these complicated situations, every day of the week, 365 days a year, pride will tear it up. Humility will heal it up. Okay, pride will tear it up. Humility will heal it up every time, guys. Pride never brings peace. Yeah, you might win the argument, right? You, that, that thing that you dream about happening in your mind, you know, where you have this argument with your spouse and you just obliterate them, you know? Like, like you, every, everything they say, you just bam, 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 bam. You just tear it up, like, and you win, like you so embarrass them and humiliate them and show them what a terrible person they are that they have nothing to answer. And then you have a great marriage. Uh, I don't think that happens, actually. 
right? You know, when, when you win the argument with your boss, you win the, like, no, 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 no. Pride tears everything up. Humility heals things up. I think you would like an example of this. I would too. Numbers 12. Numbers 12. Number 12, we have a family feud, not the game show, but an actual fight, an actual fight, a conflict among a family, okay? So you've got one sister and two brothers here, okay? Their names are Miriam, Aaron, and Moses, okay? So you probably heard of at least Moses, right? Aaron was a high priest. Miriam was uh, the song leader of Israel. So you got kind of this uh, power-packed trio here. And, and here's what happens. Chapter 12, Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. All right? And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. And now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Okay, now what's, what's happening here? Well, we got a little family feud. And, and what initially seems to be the problem is Moses' wife, okay? So Miriam and Aaron are criticizing Moses' wife. Now, why would they criticize Moses' wife? Well, it tells us because she was a Cushite woman. Now, what do we know about Cushite? Well, we know Cush was in Africa, and that's all we really know. So, so Miriam and Aaron are, are criticizing Moses' choice of a wife because she's African, okay? Now, what could that mean? Well, that could just mean a race thing. It just could be racism, you know? They just didn't like African people. It could be a kind of a, a, a cultural thing where she's not an Israelite, right? Like, like they're Israelites, and she's not an Israelite. She's from Cush, and so they don't like her. They especially don't like her in leadership. It could have been even kind of a mixture of those things added with, you know what happens when people aren't like us? Like, they're not from our culture. They're not from our, our race, maybe, or, or even our part of the world. They do things differently. So it's very possible that Moses' wife, she did things differently. Maybe she talked to Moses different than the Israelite ladies talked to their husbands. Maybe, maybe she asserted herself differently, and it just crawled all over him right? And, and so you have this, 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 this feud in this family about Moses' wife. But is that really the big issue? I don't think that's the big issue. You know why I don't think that? Look at verse 2. And they said, Miriam and Aaron say, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Have you ever realized that a lot of times what comes out as the issue is not really the issue. You ever, you ever notice that? that? That happens a lot in conflicts, right? Like, like somebody will make this the issue, but really there's another issue actually underneath it, okay? So the issue that comes out is Moses' wife, but then what comes out later is, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? What, what is that all about? There, Mary and Aaron are saying, hey, God speaks through us too. Why is Moses the guy? Why is he the leader? Why is he the boss? Why is he the number one? I mean, we all know from reading the story in the book of Exodus that actually Aaron was a better speaker than Moses. Remember, Moses didn't want to go. He didn't want to take on the assignment. He didn't want to obey God. Why? Because he couldn't talk. He stuttered, right? He, he wasn't a good communicator. And God's like, oh, finally, go. he brings in Aaron because Aaron's this winsome, charismatic speaker. What about Miriam? Remember after they crossed through the Red Sea, it was Miriam who led Israel. She wrote a, a hymn, a wrote a song of praise and they sang it on the shore of the Red Sea. Miriam's the worship leader of Israel. So you got Aaron who's this charismatic speaker and you got Miriam who's this charismatic worship leader. You know, she's got her albums out and everybody loves them and they buy them and they, she's got all the likes on Instagram and they turn around and they're like, Moses, why, why are you the guy? 
Like, God speaks through us as well. And by the way, you got a trashy wife, right? Like, that, that's the way that happens a lot of times. Right? There, there's this conflict in this family. Now, notice what Moses does. This is incredibly significant here. Nothing. That's odd, isn't it? Are you reading it like me? And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? That's verse 2. Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. And now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. Man, whenever God calls you out with your brothers and sisters, it's a bad deal, okay? You three, get out of here. Moses didn't eat. Is that the way you respond to those kinds of things? Again, let's just pause. What would be going in your heart if that situation happened to you? Like, well, I tell you, it would be tempting to go in my heart, bitter, bit, bitter jealousy, right? Like, well, I'll tell you what, I got a bad taste in my mouth because of you, you know? You talked that way about me. You talked that way about my family. After I brought you out of Egypt, you were nothing but a slave when I came and rescued you. You know, you should be making bricks, Aaron. Miriam, you should be... Sewing for some Egyptian, you know? The only reason you guys are here is that's what would be me. Selfish ambition, am I right? The only thing we see there, it just stops and says, the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people on the face of the earth. He just, off of him and on to God. And it really was on to God, right? Because then God's like, you three out, come out here. He gives him a little lecture about how he speaks through Moses. And then you know what he does? He gives Miriam leprosy. Man, when God spanks, it's bad. <laughs> he gives Miriam leprosy. And the only time Moses does anything in the passage is he prays for his sister. You know? He, pray, he intercedes. It says in verse uh, 13, I don't think we have this on the screen, but 13, Moses cried out to the Lord, oh God, please heal her, please. Well, that's beautiful. That's, I, I talk about making peace. That's beautiful. Oh, God, please heal her. All right, let's go back to our passage. So, so what, what does this say? This, this says that, that the third characteristic we're going to look at here for the wisdom from, comes from above is the meekness of wisdom. Now, go to verse 17, okay? Go to verse 17. Here, here's what I think, guys. I, we already looked at the first two words there, okay? So it says the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable. We looked at that already. I think the rest of these words are all in the family of meekness and humility, okay? So remember I said if meekness and humility, if they're a husband and wife, if they have kids, I think these are their kids, okay? Let, let's walk through them one at a time, okay? So this is the wisdom that comes from above, okay? So, so it says in verse 17, first pure, then peaceable. Now, the rest of these, I think, are the children of, of meekness and humility. First one, gentle. Gentle. It's a Greek word that means kind, yielding, courteous. I love, I love my favorite translation of it is, I think it's the ESV that translates Philippians 4, 5, same word, and it translates it as sweet reasonableness. Isn't that great? Like, I want to know that person. If you tell me, oh, here, hey, have you ever met my friend Bob? He has got the great sweet, he is a sweet, reasonable man. I'm like, hmm, I sound like a nice guy. I'll buy a car from that guy, right? Like sweet reasonableness, all right? Warren Wiersbe described uh, Abraham Lincoln. He said, he said people described Abraham Lincoln who knew him as a man of velvet steel. 
Isn't that great? Velvet steel. Look at the next one. Open to reason. Okay? So, so the first one was gentle. The second one is open to reason. Agreeable. That's what that means. Easy to live with. Easy to work with. Willing to hear all sides. Not stubborn. Not hard. Can disagree without being disagreeable. Okay, stop. Does anybody on the earth describe you in that way? That's interesting, isn't it? Like not asking, am I that? But asking, would, it, would people say that about me? Would they, would they say that, man, that Jason, he is, he is gentle and open to reason. You, you know what else grabs me about, about those characteristics? That is, neither one of those are very American, are they? Like, like Americans, what, what do we want? We're, we're going to be, I'll tell you what, you disagree with me. You know, like even, there was a big uh, UFC fight last night. I didn't get to watch it, but I heard it was only 40 seconds, so I'm glad I didn't get to, right? Um, but have you ever seen most of those? Uh, there's, some, there's some exceptions, but most of the time they have that little face-off deal, you know, like before the fight, you know, where they just go and they, they do this and they, they, they shake hands. And Man, have you ever, some, sometimes those are more interesting than the fight, you know? And you've never seen so much bravado. You've never seen so much, you know, like puffed up, you know, uh, man, like, like that's the kind of things that Americans love. We're like, that's how you settle a disagreement right there. Well, that's an that's a earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. You see, the wisdom that comes from above is gentle, open to reason. Let's keep going here. Full of mercy, good fruits, impartial. That means you don't take sides. Sincere. That means you're genuine. You're not full of hypocrisy. My friends, that's, that's wisdom. That's the wisdom that comes from above. So as, as you think about entering into those tough situations, you, you think, okay, first of all, I want God's wisdom. I, I, I want to live in such a way that I have good works. Beautiful, I have a, a beautiful life comes out of me. And so, so I want to seek peace. I want number two, I want Christ to be right in the center of it, not me. And number three, I want, I want to be covered with meekness and humility. And I think you'll have God's wisdom. You know, if you compare this with last week, and some of you may have left here last week and you're like, man, I, I tried to change the way I speak, but it was so hard. It was so hard. I tried, I tried to use my words in ways that build up and don't tear down. And man, like, like somebody, some of you... They're in this service. You told me last week you went to lunch with your friends just like you always did. There's nothing to talk about, you know? Like everybody's just quiet. Like we, we don't know how to use our words. You know what will help? Today. Like, like when we actually try to put these characteristics in our life, meekness and gentleness, open to reason, humility, seeking peace, that changes your words. Like it changes your words. We're going to close our service today. We're going to finish by, by partaking of the Lord's Supper together, okay? So if guys will come and, and uh, prepare the table. So here's, here's what is beautiful, guys. In the Lord's Supper, we get a chance to experience the gospel. Did you hear that? Experience the gospel. So, so the gospel is this. The gospel is that we are broken sinners who could not save ourselves, and God has has sent his son to live the perfect life and to die a sacrificial death on the cross in order to bring us to God, to bring us peace. That's the gospel. And you know what you get to do today if you're a believer? 
you get to celebrate, experience that with the Lord's Supper. The Bible tells us that the bread represents the body of Christ that is broken for us, and the cup represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us. And so in partaking of the supper, basically what you're saying is, Jesus, you're my life. Your, your death, your broken body, your shed blood, it's, 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 it's my life. It's for me.